Open your Bibles to John chapter 4. It's going to be our text. Uh, I want to encourage you, if you look in the bulletin, you see that tonight we're having Connect. Uh, we do that once a month. It's a special opportunity. Tonight, you're going to want to be there. We're going to meet in the Teen Center, and we're going to feature our sewing ministry. And if you don't know about this, you truly are missing out. Uh, these women and a few men uh, are part of that uh, ministry, and they do a lot of good, and they encourage each other. It's just a, a sweet thing to behold, and we're going to all get to hear more about that. Uh, I was also encouraged last week. I hope you were here and saw the 28 deacons that we were able to appoint. It was just quite a sight to behold when they were all standing here in front of the church, and I'm encouraged about the days to come. Uh, there was a breakfast this morning with uh, all the deacons and the elders and the ministers, um, and that was so encouraging. Uh, it's just a, a good day, and uh, grateful that you're part of our church family. On the back of the bulletin, there's an outline, if that'll help you to follow along as we're working our way through the book of Joshua. George H. Bush, the father, was once visiting an assisted living uh, uh, retirement home to uh, encourage the people there. And of course, they all knew who he was, except for one person's not so sure. So the elder Bush went up to him and said, do you know who I am? And the man said, no, but if you'll go up to the nurse's desk, they'll be able to tell you. <laughs> we all joke about memory loss, don't we? We walk into a room and say, what was I coming in here for? Or you go into a store to get some things and, and don't have your list. And we sometimes joke about our, our lapse of memory. But we all understand that, even if you don't have a, an official diagnosis that's related to your memory loss. But memories are such a challenging feature of our brains. I was talking with Mitzi, I was trying to text her, and I had the wrong number, and I said, tell me your cell number, and I had this on my notes, that sometimes we don't even remember our cell number. And, and Mitzi couldn't remember her cell number. Don't laugh at her, because you can't either. You know, it just kind of, it happens sometimes. And yet, for those of us with a few years, we can remember our childhood landline number from decades ago. Isn't that something? How some numbers we can remember, some we cannot remember. The reality is people forget. That's why parents of teenagers, when they're making their way out the door, parents will say a few encouraging words, a, a few words to help them, and maybe something like, remember who you are. Why? Because teenagers forget, and they need to be reminded but forgetting is not just a teenage problem. Forgetting is not just an old age problem. Forgetting is a human problem. Our nation's capital is full of all kind of memorials to help us remember. Cities large and small have memorials. Some of them are, might be a fountain, some might be a, a statue, some might be a plaque, but they're all to help us remember. And they're not man's invention. God is the one who said we need them. God knows that remembering the right things makes a difference in our life, especially in our faith. In our study of the book of Joshua, we've read about, studied about how God is bringing them to the Jordan River at flood stage. He has them camp there for three days before they finally cross by divine intervention. Last week, we were in chapter 3, and we studied how God's people followed the ark into the river. It was only when the priest stepped into the water did the water subside. 
The river was at flood stage, and the only way that they could make it into the land of promise was by divine intervention. In chapter 4, he tells them, I want you to remember this moment. So he has them to establish a memorial. So let's read together Joshua 4, just the first seven verses to kind of set the stage. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from every place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodged tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord to your God in the midst of the Jordan, and take each up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. So by faith, these people followed the Ark. The priest stepped into the water. The waters back up. It was a miraculous moment. A spectacular moment for these people. Now, if you missed the last lesson or two, I want to encourage you, you can get on our website or order a free CD and kind of catch up with this. But God still uses flood stage moments even today. But I want us to note here in chapter 4, the first thing God tells Joshua and makes for all the people here after the crossing, choose one man from each tribe, go to the middle of the river, and to pick up a stone where the priest stood and the reason was significant, if you remember, because it was the presence of the ark that made the river stop flowing. And the priests had positioned themselves in a place until all the people had passed through. So I want to make sure we've got the visual of what's going on here. Now, the Hebrew word stone there, which says to go and pick up a stone, can be anything from a pebble to a boulder. So the Hebrew word doesn't really help us to know, but the context kind of explains so large of a stone that you lift up one and that you carry it upon your shoulder. So this is not a stone that you would hold with your hand. This is a two-hand stone, that even carrying it a distance so much, even just out of the river, you, you would want to put it on your shoulder to lift it out, a boulder, if you will. That's what's going on here. Why? Why does God have them create a memorial after crossing the Jordan River? Because think about it. They just did this. It's fresh on their mind. I mean, they're still talking about it. Why would they need a memorial to remind them of what they just experienced? And even so, it's in our Bibles. How does this affect us? The so what of this story? Well, three observations I want you to follow along with me. It's straight out of the chapter. The first is this. Memorials remind us that God is among us. Remember God's promise to Joshua? As the book opens, Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. They're crossing the river was to remind them that God was right there with them. 
They weren't just talking about it. Now these people had experienced it. They were living it. But most days are not like that. You don't cross a flooded river every day. This was a once-in-a-lifetime kind of moment for them. Most days for them and us are kind of usual, kind of typical, ordinary, maybe even boring. So memorials help us to remember. Memorials are for those dry days. What happened back then? Why do I need to remember that? God knew that what happened next for the people of, of Israel would be critical. They'd crossed the Jordan River, but they'd not yet taken Jericho. They were at a very critical moment. There's no going back. They're in the promised land, but they've not taken it yet. So before going any further into the land, God has them to erect this monument. Well, why? Maybe, maybe two possible reasons. Maybe because in the coming days, when they were returning back to their base camp there, they would remember that God had saw them through. They would remember what God had done for them. There's something about the way that you and I are wired. Same with them, same with us. It's true with people. Every time we succeed, when we do well, when we make a, a, an accomplishment, when, when we succeed, there's something about us where we think, well, yeah, because I worked hard, I, I studied hard, I did overtime, I applied myself, I saved my money. And because I did that, then sometimes we pat ourselves on the back for the good that we did, and that's why we had our success. But God wanted the monument there to remind them they had only crossed the river, not because of anything they did, because of what God did for them. But what about the bad days, the setbacks, the discouraging hard moments? This memorial would also remind them that God is still right there with them. So on good days, the memorial would give them humility. And on bad days, the memorial would give them hope. I can't help but think about this memorial, 12 Stones, without thinking about our memorial. And Eric did such a good job of kind of leading us through our communion this morning. So we're able to participate and remember what happened. Even though God is still doing great things for his people, even today you and I forget. We just get busy, we get distracted. So this memorial today can bring you humility on your good days. When maybe you've had spiritual progress, when things are, are going well, when you know, you're, you're doing well, and, and, and just when arrogance Pride starts seeping in. You gather on a Sunday and you eat that bread and you drink that cup and it recenters us. And it does away with our arrogance. It does away with our pride. And we realize I couldn't make it without Jesus. All of my efforts, as the prophet says, are like filthy rags. I'm humble because even at my best, I can never do enough to earn my own salvation. I must have Jesus. Jesus still had to die. But this memorial is also powerful when you've had a bad week, when spiritually you've blown it. For those times where you've had the spiritual setbacks and you're discouraged, maybe your besetting sin that the Bible talks about not only knocked on your door, it just came right in and you let it. You even wonder, should I even go to worship today? That's when you need to come to worship 
And you need to eat that bread and drink that cup and remember this memorial that Jesus died for you. He paid for your sin debt. When you feel ashamed, when you feel broken, that's when you need Him the most. So when you're having those bad days, maybe a a bad period of time, that's when you need to come to God. You need to come to worship. You need to participate because you know why? He knows. He knows you need forgiving. He knows there's no way for you to make it without Him going first. He knows. He sees the law. Remember we talked about this last week? He sees the law through the shed blood of His Son. His mercies are new every morning. He knows that you too can be righteous. Not because of the good that you do, but because of Jesus' blood who washes you clean. That, my friends, is the abundant life. That's what Jesus was talking about. That's the promise. So on your bad weeks, it gives you hope. On your good weeks, it gives you humility. And that's why I need to come back every week partaking of communion. For those good weeks to keep you looking to Jesus. For those bad weeks to keep you looking to Jesus. If you come to worship out of guilt, you've missed it. Somehow you've believed a false gospel because it's not about guilt. Now, yes, there is a guilt for your sin, and that must be dealt with. That's why Jesus died. But when you're washed in baptism, he he removes that guilt. And you are clean. He gives you his righteousness. And you walk in his power. That's the Christian life. That's what he's talking about. Jesus paid the debt. And you're coming to worship. You're not paying him back. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. Partaking of this memorial is being reminded of what Jesus did on the cross. Being a completely committed follower of Jesus is not a duty. It's a, it's a passion. It's, a, it's an identity. It's a craving. It's what you want to do. So memorials remind us that God is among us. But there's another lesson in this chapter. Memorials help us relate to the next generation that God is among us. Look again at verses 6 and 7, Joshua 4. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? See, in time to come, they didn't cross the river. They weren't there. They didn't experience it. All they see are the stones. So what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, so these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. Look at verse 23. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you to pass over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. So Joshua has them to mark the spot, if you will, Their crossing of the river was, yes, for them to remind themselves that God was among them, but it was more than that. It was to remind the next generation that God is still among them. God helped them to cross the river, and God's also working to bless these future generations. Because God knows we become distracted with life, with chores, with business, with family, with other good things. God knows that we fret over things that don't really matter. God knows that we tend to forget what really counts. God knows that we need a memorial. 
We need to remind you of the moment God redeemed you. I hope each week when you gather to worship and you eat that bread and you drink the cup, you, you think about your own redemption. That's that song that John led us, Hallelujah, what a Savior. You remember maybe your moment of conversion and then your continued salvation, that you are His. You remember when God made a way when there seemed to be no way. So God has them to make a memorial to pass the baton of faith to the next generation. But again, our, our memories are fickle because so many times we can't remember our password. I saw something this week. You may have seen this before. It was new to me. It said, I'm going to change my password to incorrect. And that way, when it says your password is incorrect, it's like, oh, well, there it is. I know that won't work. But all the things that we need to remember and we can't remember. Why is it that we can remember commercial jingles? or sitcom songs from years ago. And we cannot answer prayers in the last month. Why? Does that describe you? If someone were to ask you, in fact, I put this on the screen, how have you seen God among you? How have you seen God among you in the last 30 days? How has He answered your prayers? Does that make you squirm just a little? It does me. That's why I put it on there. Think about how is God working among you? If you can't see, if you don't know, let me share two suggestions. First, ask God to open your eyes because He is at work. It may just be that we're not seeing it. Sometimes in our own prayer life, we just go with a new want list. God, and we ask Him to do these things, and we're not thinking about what He just did for us. That's why some people like to journal, not because they're more spiritual, because it helps them to remember, this is what I've been asking for. It reminds them to ask again, and they're like, oh, but that's already been granted, and I realize He's working in my life. He is among me. He is answering my prayers. That's one suggestion. Ask Him to open your eyes. Another suggestion would be ask God if, if you stepped ahead of the ark. Remember as we studied about the whole crossing, the ark was to go first and the people were to follow. And there's so much symbolism there. It's the very presence of God. It contained the Word of God. And if you're going first, if you're out ahead of the Word of God, if you're beyond what God wants you to do, then you're not looking for God to work. You're not seeing God at work. Ephesians 6 gives a very vivid picture, a very stern warning about the spiritual warfare that is going on if we could only see it. But the enemy is so pleased when you focus or obsess or get preoccupied with trivial stuff that does not really matter and you forget all the important stuff. That's why memorials are important. Remember the Passover meal? They were to eat to remind them of that Passover when the firstborn were died, if their houses were not marked, their door frames with the blood. The meal was simple, really. But there were special details, and each had a meaning. 
Mom, Dad, why, why are we eating these bitter herbs? To remind us of the bitterness of slavery. The children were not ushered into another room. Now, you keep them quiet while the adults were observing the Passover meal. The children were a part of the Passover meal. It was a family experience, so the children could learn, the children could remember. It reminds me, communion is not something each of us do individually. Communion is to be shared. You gather together to break the bread, and you drink the cup. Mom? Dad, what does this mean? It's a wonderful opportunity to teach our children, to provide an explanation. Fathers, being the spiritual leader of your, as leaders of your home is more than just bringing them to worship. That's just the beginning. It's answering those questions. Same for you, moms. It's more than just about getting the, the children ready or, 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 or what they're wearing it's answering these spiritual questions because children ask questions. All of us need to be looking for ways, all of us need to be looking for ways to pass that baton of faith to the next generation. You may not be a mom or dad with a child at home, but we got a whole church full of children. And all of us need to be looking for ways to help pass on that faith. So pray that God will open your eyes. See for yourself, then be able to share. Does the next generation know? Do they even see you as a person of faith that they could come and ask the question? Do we expect our children just to learn about God when they come and listen to it in a sermon or a Bible class? Or are they also hearing it from home? Because a lot of things we might mention in a sermon might be over their heads or even a Bible class. They may not be paying attention. But moms and dads, that's where we've got to come in and help. I want you to notice something else in this chapter. It's small, almost unnoticeable. As you read through the chapter, it's not long. The Ark is often called in the Bible the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant. You've heard of that. Sometimes, though, it's also called the Ark of the Testimony. Now, there's an obvious reason for that in that it contained the, the, the law, and so that would make sense. But notice how in chapter 4, the name changes after they cross the river. Look at verses 15 and 16. And the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priest bearing the ark of the testimony to come up out of the Jordan. Now think about this. They go into the river walking behind the ark of the covenant. And they come out of the river walking behind the ark of the testimony. They're walking in faith behind the promise of God. Remember God's promise? I will give you everywhere you set your foot. Remember that? I will give you everywhere you set your foot. God is leading them into the land of Canaan, but they've got to cross the river first, and the land is not theirs until they get their feet wet. There are times when you and I, you're walking the covenant of God, you're stepping onto the premise of of the promise. Remember, we've been talking about this. You're getting your feet wet. But when you step onto that premise, you experience the promise. And note what happens when they come out on the other side. Instead of it being a step of faith, because the water's still flowing, it was a fact of life. They crossed the river 
on dry land. It was an experience. It wasn't a matter of believing anymore because they had experienced it. It was a fact. It was not just for them to believe. It was for them to experience and to be able to tell others about it. Is that not why the name changes here? From the Ark of the Covenant to the Ark of the Testimony? Your testimony about getting your feet wet. Your testimony about walking over on dry land. In faith you get behind the ark. Again, Joshua 1.9, Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Well, one more observation from this chapter. Memorials help us relate to the world that God is among us. They remind us. They help us pass that on to our children. And they help us relate that to others. To all those who don't know about God. God is alive. God is well. And God is still among us. Look at verses 23 and 24 at the end of the chapter. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea when he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. So the memorial is not just, okay, this is just for the children of Israel or even just for them and their children. It's for anybody to see, for all the world to see. Let me ask you a challenging question. What hinders you from talking to others about God? What hinders you from talking to others about God? Sometimes we hide behind, we say it's our personality. I, I'm, just, I'm just not an outgoing person. I mean, that's just not me. I'd rather show somebody instead of talk about it. Or maybe I, I'm a timid person. Maybe. Or maybe it's weak faith. And we hide behind personality or hide behind timidity. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. God wants the whole world to know who He is. And here we are walking around with our mouths closed. God wants to lead you into the promised land, the land of promise, the life abundantly for you and for your children and for the whole world to see. All of that is still true. So God had this moment, monument erected, again, not just for the people who crossed, but for all the world to see. Last week, if you were here, I put a, a replica of the ark on the stage, and I did that to kind of help us to get a visual of what it would have been like. Uh, still can't fully comprehend because it was pure gold on the lid, covered in gold, the, the, uh, uh, the rest of it, and, and what a sight that would have been. So I was thinking, okay, this week, what can I do? I thought, let me get 12 big stones, and I could stack them up here on the stage. And I thought, nah, that's too much work. Um, actually, I did think about doing that. I thought, what a visual that would be. But then I, I want to share one more passage. 
that I think really helps us to understand what would be more impactful than 12 stones stacked to see. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. It's on the screen. Verses 4 and 5. He talks about living stones. As you come to him, talking about Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you clothe yourselves like living stones, or being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Do you get what he's saying here? Peter's saying, Jesus, as Jesus is a living stone, you are living stones. We as his people are living stones. We are, as one author said, a chip off the living rock. We are to be a testimony in this dark world of the true light. We're letting the world know that God is among us and he is good. Because your life bears witness to that fact. Or does it? You and I are called to be living stones, a living monument to a living God. Do you see yourself that way? As you get up and you're choosing how to dress, you're thinking about the day at school, the day at work, you're thinking about how you relate with other people, you think about how you respond in a situation when you're asked a question, you are a living stone. You know what's more powerful than 12 stones? Just the image of 12 stones? A life transformed by a living God. That's what's more powerful. And people cannot deny that. We are to be, and it's the last blank in your outline, bolder believers. May God help us to be bolder believers. Is God alive? Then show it. Does God answer prayers? Then tell somebody. Has God been there for you? Let somebody know. If you've ever talked to Penny Hubble, you know, she, she's got this down pat. She cannot not talk about Jesus. And she posted something on Facebook and it popped up again as a memory and I told her I was going to share this this morning. Listen to this. It says, it's not that Christians want to shove Jesus down your throat, but man, if you knew, if you knew how he can transform you, if you knew how he can take away all that bitterness, that sorrow, that hurt, that depression and anxiety... We boast about our Lord because He is mighty. That's why we talk about Him. That's why we cannot not talk about Him. We're going to close with a song, an invitation song.
that's called, What the Lord Has Done in Me. I think you know the song. We've sung it several times before. Let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich. Let the blind say, I can see. It's what the Lord has done in me. And as we sing this song, I want you to sing it like you mean it. If God has worked in your life. But if you're not yet a Christian, there's a line that says, Into the river I will wade, there my sins are washed away. So this song is to invite you to be baptized. We always have the water ready. What has the Lord done in you? Is the Lord among you? Let's sing about it. Let's stand together.